tradition and sect of Gaudiya Vaishnavism interfacing with the world community. Sri Bhakti Vinod Thakur. We offer up pranam to all our gurus in a disciplic succession. To Sri Krishna Chaitanya Nitananda Prabhu, Advaita Prabhu, who are the three Prabhus or uh, faces of God who have appeared in, in the world to distribute the the dharma or the uh, religion, if you will, of singing the name of God, as we have just done. And to their associates, and to Sisi Radha Govinda, the personality of Godhead, and to all of you. I understand that some of you have a little any familiarity with a gathering like this, like yourself, you're smiling, you must be one of them. Hmm? What is your name? Garo. Garo? Garo, yeah. Garo. My pleasure, nice to meet you. And perhaps some others. Have you been here before? Here? Yeah. Their home, yes. You have. <laughs> <laughs> have I met you before? No. Okay, forgive me. What is your name? So you're a little familiar with the tradition. I've um, visited the temple in housing for the past 10 years now. Okay. So you have a lot to learn, is what you mean. No. (laughs) 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 Me too. (laughs) I have a lot to learn. So I wanted to speak in a general way, especially for your benefit. It said, uh, and then I'll ask for some questions. I'll just speak briefly and ask the questions. It said that there is um, a, a spiritual destination for those who believe in God. And um, in that regard, it's sometimes said in a backwards way that this world is not our real home. After all, at least in terms of our present sense of identity within this world, like I'm a young lady from Finland, and uh, I come from this family, this is my father, this is my mother, and so forth. That sense of identity in this world, it will not endure. It has a... It has a, a uh, a life, but not a long one, that identity. And besides that, it's, this identity is, is limited in terms of the ambition that all of us have in life. The ambition in this world that all of us have is to be happy. And if we think about it, we do not put any limitation on that. How much would you like to be happy? Pretty much. A lot. Do you want any distress in your life? Not really. 
some people will say, well, you know, without the stress, then they wouldn't know what happiness is. But then they're still admitting that they want happiness. This is the pursuit of everyone, right? Everyone wants to be happy. And we don't want to put a limit on that, and we would like, therefore we would like to be happy in an enduring way. But our sense of identity at present, if we think about it carefully, it doesn't afford us the, the facility, the capacity to realize our objective, which is to be perfectly happy. It's an identity that's largely based upon adding things to my life. But we have another identity, and it will be discovered by taking things off of our life or out of our life. Rather than going out and collecting and expanding our material or bodily sense of self by gathering possessions, which we call, in a word, mine, and then give them a special meaning. My car is important. If my car breaks down, it's a problem. If your car breaks down, you're too bad. (laughs) And you don't give it much other thought. You drive down the street and somebody has a car broken down. You don't think about that. Oh, somebody's car broke down. It happens. But if it's your car, it's a big problem. So the reason that that's a problem is because... Why? Because of this one word, mine. By that one word, mine, you are expressing something that you have done. And what you've done is extended your sense of self and projected it into a material object. It's mine. It's that mine comes from like me. So it's part of me now. The only way in which it is truly part of you is by this kind of identification that's been created by yourself. Through the mind, we come in touch with objects and we identify with some of those objects and that becomes part of our identity. But does that car really have anything to do with you? Yes, in a sense, but only in the sense of of the identity that you're creating by adding things onto your life. You're making an identity by collecting things from the world. This is my house, this is my car, this is my piano. And so we're, we're kind of making an identity. The problem, in a very basic sense, with this identity is what? That it can't endure. Car will break down for good at one point. So you can get another car, but that will break down, and you can get another house, and you can sell a house, you can buy a new house, and it's the way your, your identity is changing. You can be a daughter, then you'll be a mother. You may be single, then you become married. You may become a widow, you may become a grandmother. All these identities are based on relationships which are based on desires, mine, 
this is my daughter, this is my husband, this is my granddaughter, makes you, this is my mother, it makes you a daughter, makes you a grandma, makes you a wife, makes you a mother. In this way, through the medium of the mind, through the vehicle of the senses, our sense of seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and so forth, we enter, we, whatever we are, something about us has the power to do this, to create this identity. And if we think that something about me has the power to create this, and the medium through which I'm doing it are the senses and the mind, I'm manufacturing through the factory of my mind with the workers known as my senses an identity it's factory produced it's 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 made up in the in in the in the uh, it's imaginary it's imaginary we are imagining that and the interesting thing is it's kind of a bad dream in a lot of respects because it's not fulfilling me in the full sense of the term. But worse than that, the dream or nightmare, dream, is leading me to believe that just by adding something else, a couple of other things, I will arrive at an identity that affords me perfect happiness. The mind is so much leading me to believe this that I'm in total denial of the reality of my own experience year after year after year after year. Think about it and go back. Of course, you're younger than me, but give it some time and you'll be able to think back. <laughs> and you'll th if, you, if you're objective about it, use your mind in another way. There's something called using the mind, and there's something called being used by the mind. And somebody's either being used or doing the using. That's, that identity, that self, is, is hidden underneath the covering of all the things that we're piling onto our life that are creating another identity. And if we think back over time, how I was led to believe by my mind, if I just got that, then everything would be perfect. Or if I just got a couple of things in place, it's just around the corner. If we got those things, there was always something else. Just something, one more thing. I just get a better job. Just get a promotion. And if I could own a house instead of rent a house. If I could just find the perfect man or the perfect woman. Where there's a carrot being waved in front of us constantly by the mind, and a false prospect that what all of us want, regardless of whether we're Finnish or Swedish or um, American or French, uh, German, as may be the case, from Holland, <laughs> how do you say? A Dutch. A Dutchman, <laughs> yes. Whatever may be the case, this is. For all of us, this is this is uh, our pursuit. We are all really involved in the same thing. We want to become perfectly happy. But again, 
and it, this and it, and this this through the mind there's a there's a prospect for us what's happening to us is like we want a full meal we are hungry we want a full meal a satisfying meal one that's one that this is important too one that fills us up and one that tastes good also <laughs> this is bed uh, bed it has to fill us up and taste good also uh, so, uh, both things. We want that. And what's, what we're getting through the instruments with which we're pursuing this, the senses and the mind, is an appetizer. We're getting an appetizer. One appetizer after... You know what an appetizer is? You go to the meal and somebody brings out appetizers. So they're usually rich and you can only eat so much of them and they're all they're just meant for just hold you over for a little while until the full meal comes but if you keep eating just um, appetizers that'll be disaster you will never get a full meal it's too rich it won't be good for you you you'll never be satisfied but hmm? your appetite may become spoiled and you may think I don't want to eat I don't even want to be happy. I went and listened to the Swami. He said everybody wants to be happy, but I don't want to be happy. <laughs> hmm? There is no happiness. I've been around for a long time. I haven't found it. I'm bitter. This can happen. That happens to people sometimes, but some people are lucky, like you and me and all of us. And we come in touch with some information that's not readily available. It's secret information, in a sense. It's secret information. It's 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 it 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 um, um, it's, um, there's a lot of bitter people in the world, frustrated people. They're not they're not almost they're not interested in this. If we can, this information is available. We have to contact it almost before we become hopeless entirely. Or it contacts us at a moment when we're hopeless and gives us new hope. I want to say it's secret information, but um, at the same time, we, those who have it, they want to give it to everybody. It's something like this. The way this information works is you somehow you get it. There's a system. Someone like a saintly person comes into your life. Somebody meets you at the bus stop, let's say and says, hey, I'm going to meet my spiritual teacher. Would you like to come? So you think, I've got nothing better to do. So you go. You become lucky. Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagavan Ji Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Lata Bej. It is said like this, that the what we really are, when we take off all these things that we've been adding on to our life, and we give up the idea of mine, and we think objectively, Nothing really belongs to me. If it belongs to us, we can keep it, right? But you can't keep anything. Everything will be taken away at some point. Your car will break down. Your body will break down. It will die. Then what, right? So we, it's common sense. You cannot keep anything in this world for forever. So to that extent, it's not ours. 
So, if we're lucky, at any rate, we meet somebody, and we're invited to a, some program like this. It happened to all of us. We all have our story to tell. And um, this person speaks about these kind of things. It's 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 uh, secret wisdom. What this is about is like this: all of these people, they had this experience. To put it in a an example that you may be able to appreciate. You know what a UFO is? Right? Have you seen one? We don't know. <laughs> Some people have seen UFOs. In the backyard, they went out, they saw a UFO. And a little green man came out and talked to them. <laughs> And then they ran inside to tell everyone. There's a <laughs> flying saucer outside. I mean, well, something's out there. I don't know what it is, and uh, you've got to come. So he's very excited. He saw this thing. He's very excited. And because he's very excited, people say, well, okay, well, let's go. They go out. There's nothing there. He brings his friend. There's, no, there's nothing there. He tries to, no, I, I saw it, it was there. You'll be okay, sorry. <laughs> and he tries to tell other friends. Nobody wants to listen. Nobody believes him. He starts thinking, maybe it's not true. Maybe I didn't see that. So he thinks real deeply, did I see that? He starts to question himself. Real sincerely, he thinks, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I didn't see that. And then it comes again. Shows itself. Another way. Out his window. Little <laughs> green man says, I'm here. Like that. Oh, he says, no, it's true. I've seen it. I've seen it twice. Again, he tries to tell people. No one believes him. As soon as he brings his friends to the window, there's nothing there. <laughs> so, he's got a problem now. But his experience was very extraordinary. And he, 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 was, he thought, I could get on that ship and go high in the sky hmm, to another land. Hmm? Such possibilities lies in, in that. Then huh? he finds out that there's some other people. They've also seen this. They get together in a group every now and then and they talk about it. They talk about it. And every now and then some new person sees and comes and joins the group also. So they join a UFO group. <laughs> and they share their experiences and talk about it. You see? So this is just an example to tell you how this works. This is secret knowledge. The secret knowledge, there is, there is secret knowledge in the world of how to become happy. Hmm? Just what everybody wants. Everybody's looking in the wrong place. Adding things onto their life, thinking, I'm not perfect, I'm incomplete, so let me add something. I'll add a car, I'll add a piano, a house, a wife, a daughter, a son. Add all these things and I'll become happy. But as we've explained, that's not working. We're not becoming happy. 
we've projected ourselves into a material object, therefore we think the object is important, because we're inside of it. What's important is us, not the object. And what we are is something that has the capacity to project itself into material things. That's extraordinary. We call it consciousness. By con I am consciousness. I am an experiencer. And matter is being experienced by me. But I extend myself into a material thing, and then I, it becomes important to me, because I'm in it. By the word my, I've gone into that thing. But what's important is not that thing. It's me. And being happy is not about adding things onto myself that don't endure. I endure. But my body won't endure. My present limited personality based on all these things I've added onto my life won't endure. You see, this is secret knowledge. Not everybody knows it, right? It's secret. And it comes to people from God. God is that UFO, in my example. <laughs> and he makes this... He, we don't know why. But some people are called, it is said. Actually, if we could trace it out, we would find that our existence is enduring. But the things that we add on to ourselves and the identity we create by that is not enduring. That we've been around a long time. What death is, it's just another, another example of the changing nature of material existence. Transformation. Your body will turn into, what, uh, dust. Another body will form out of dust. And what's causing dust to move? What do you think? What makes dust move? If you move it, it moves, right? Otherwise it sits still. Matter, I mean. Does the car have meaning without a driver? Ask the car. <laughs> You'll get the answer. It's no. So we are the driver, we are consciousness, not matter. And by lending ourselves to material things, matter takes on a life. Does a television have a life? If you turn it on, it seems to have a life. It may take over your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that would be an illusion, because you could turn it off, and it has no meaning without you turning it on. So we turn on the machine of the material world. Matter is moving and all these the cars are moving, bodies are growing. But the, what's moving that? That's consciousness. That's a different thing from matter. Consciousness is the experiencer. Matter is experienced. Think about it. Would matter matter if there was no consciousness? Who would know about it? Who would care? Consciousness is important. Infinitely more important than matter. This is secret wisdom, you see. And we, that unit of consciousness, living in this world of matter and identifying with it, as much as we are identifying with matter rather than ourself, we're going to remain in this plane of experience. And what happens in this plane of experience? Material 
objects are in constant state of transformation. So our body is in a state of transformation. From dust it came, as they say, and from dust it will return. But as long as we remain in this plane of experience, then another combination of material ingredients is going to form around us. We call that another body, another birth. That's called reincarnation. Same person, but a different arrangement of material baggage as packaging has come around you. Hmm? Something like that. So if we trace this out, we can see, hmm, something has happened to you, to all of us, in this kind of maze and puzzle of material existence that's come from the world beyond the sky to us, from God to us. Something has touched us in one life, another life, another life. Let's say, for example, there was this great saint. And the great saint was meditating on God and um, in the forest. And a snake came when the snake was going to bite him. But a dog came and chased the snake away. The dog is a unit of consciousness inside the dog package. Okay, he got the dog package that year. <laughs> He's in there. Now, he chased the snake away. He didn't really know why. It's the nature of dog chase snakes away sometimes. But that saintly person was done as, rendered a service by the dog unknowingly. So, something can come to that dog on account of that. We call it Sukriti. Something that, that as life goes on and those, that kind of thing is accumulated knowingly or unknowingly, it predisposes someone towards the secret wisdom in a human life where they can understand it, think about it, and, and pursue it. So that has happened to us in our human life. And what I'm trying to say to you is that there's a background to our present interests in this subject matter. Why we have the psychology that we do that f makes us find this as interesting and as perfect as we do. Because we are predisposed towards that over lifetimes and in this lifetime. We've come, some of us here, to a very crucial point in our life that's really an incredible uh, juncture. Human life itself is an incredible juncture in, with regard to material, material sojourn. But this, the other life, and Sadhu Sangha, association with saintly persons, you have all that you need uh, to make a comprehensive solution to life to become perfectly happy. This is a very, very rare and extraordinary opportunity. We had a major dose of uh, you know, communication with unidentified flying objects. It affected us in a, in a powerful way. It means, this is secret knowledge. God makes it available, and without him making it available, no one can know it. If 
God wants to show himself, God can be known. If God doesn't want to show himself, nothing you can do to know God. If a UFO wants to show itself, as they say, then you can know. If it doesn't, nobody else can know. Disappears immediately. God's hand in the world is something like that. Actually, making himself known all the time in so many places, but in incremental ways that build up and accumulate after time, after time to the point where you can say, I've seen, I've seen. But other people don't listen because they're in their life, they have not had the same exposure yet to this secret knowledge. What I'm saying to you is it's secret knowledge, but at the same time it's broadcast everywhere. But it's just like there are sounds in the world we can't hear. Dogs can hear them, but we can't hear them. So it's, it's being broadcast on a certain frequency, this secret knowledge. It's really not secret, but the, you've got to connect with the frequency. It's being made available, and that, through that frequency we call that Guru Parampara. It's the frequency through which it, which it comes, the channel. And this is a channel of saintly people, and they're distributing this in so many ways to so many living entities and creating as a, uh, an environment that's conducive for waking up one day and saying, I got it, a message from there to here. Now I need to be part of this group and find out more about that. And the rest of the people still think I'm crazy, but I understand, oh, they have not come, they have not been touched as much yet. So, naturally, it's good for me, it's helping me, so I'll try to touch them as well. A devotee, a devotee will naturally have that kind of sentiment. In this way, uh, we end up in a place like this. Crazy people and singing these songs nobody can understand and language and words and that, that are different sometimes and topics that, uh, that are very esoteric and... Um, impractical and we're becoming happy and we're becoming happy in two ways by singing these songs singing the name of Krishna and by giving up things that have nothing to do with us that aren't making us happy by unloading unpacking that false identity that I created opening that package throwing away the wrapper and finding the precious jewel of myself inside there. And I find I don't need to add anything onto myself. I'm like a precious diamond underneath a mountain of ignorance and misconception of identifying with things that aren't really have anything to do with me. I'm, I'm like coal, which has the potential to be a, a diamond, maybe, if, if you squeeze it tight enough so isn't it yeah so so if we put ourselves in the tight grip of someone who knows about these things at a certain point we're ready for a major in installment of this uh, um, secret wisdom if we put ourselves in the tight grip of someone in that channel on that frequency of guru parampara and then we start to shine like a diamond precious jewel and then we can go to the land of Chintamani. Not diamond, but 
more precious than a diamond we are. There's a stone called Chintamani. It's, a, it's, a, it's said if you take this stone and touch it to iron, iron will turn into gold. What a valuable stone that is, huh? But it's also called the Philosopher's Stone. Does it really exist? Is there really such a stone like that? That you can touch iron and it will turn into gold? There is, actually, in a sense. But again, it's the Philosopher's Stone. It means this, that there's a land made out of this. You think, I want to go there. The, the, the land, the ground, is made out of these kind of stones. Wow, all my desires could be fulfilled there. Chintamani prakara sadmasu kalparikshalakshavriteshu It is mentioned like this. Chintamani dham shriyakanta kanta parama purusha kalpataravo trumabhumis chintamani ganamayito yamamritam He said the land there is made out of this chintamani. He said the walking is all dancing. The talking is all singing. We would think, what must be the singing? What must be the dancing there? What kind of place is that? Where the land is Chintamani, Kamdenu. Cows are there. They give everything. You can milk a cow and get anything you want from it. Anything. The land is... From the land you can get anything. If it can turn iron into gold, then you can get anything from that. So we think, I want to go there because I have so many desires, so many things I want to add on to my life to make my life happy. But it's, it's, it's a philosopher's stone, this Chintamani. Land of Chintamani, where you can become fully happy. This again, as I said, is not our real home. And our identity here is false. Our bodies, like are the confines of our cell, and the duration of its life is our sentence. We are on death row. We are all here. Our present identity is condemned to die. <laughs> no chance. There will be no pardon from the governor or the prime minister. No pardon. It's not possible. But if you... If you... Um, Nobody from this land can give a pardon. But if the hand of God touches it, it can take us to the other land. This is not our real home. We should get out of here and go to that side. The interesting thing is this. That land of Chintamani, everyone lives there. They have no desire. They have no desire for anything, to add anything onto their life. They love God only desire is to please God. They understood that I'm not matter, I'm consciousness. God is the supreme consciousness. Pleasing God means pleasing me. I used to think, because I projected myself into material things, that pleasing material things or gathering them would make me happy. But I understood, oh, the only reason I like those things is because I'm inside of them. Because I've sent myself in there by the word mine. So, Come out of that material thing, look into myself, look deeply in myself, I see I have origins that are not material, but spiritual. I'm like a ray of the Son of God. So my prospect for happiness lies in uniting with God in love rather than with matter. God endures, 
So do I. I have a propensity for loving rather than to repose it in things that that can hardly re- return, reciprocate in love. Let me repose it in God. Thinking like this, we can go to that land where no one has any desire other than to serve God. This is this is the real beauty of the place. It's said it's made out of chintamani, but those are like just ordinary rocks. They don't care about them. They have no interest in them. It said there was a saintly person who brought one of uh, uh, the uh, who had it. Well, it's another story. He had a he had a chintamani stone. So a thief was thinking, he heard, this guy's got a chintamani stone, it turns iron into gold, I'll get that. So he watched him carefully, day and night. And then he saw he was keeping that stone on and not, not paying much attention to it. And he even walked, went away to bathe in the river without guarding it. So he went and stole it, but then he thought, wait a minute, why that fellow was not interested in this. He must have something more valuable than that stone. So he asked him about that, and that man revealed his heart. And from his from his heart came this song, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare. By this I went to a land of Chintamani, where the stones that you walk on are these things. So much more valuable is, is my relationship with God in terms of making me happy than getting anything. And I have no need for the Chintamani. If I want Chintamani, this is my Chintamani, Nam Chintamani. The name of God, oh, it has all power to make me happy. It turned my life, my iron-like life into gold. So we can go to that um, land and the way is twofold. Begin Come into this kind of company and sing the name of God. That will bring some wisdom and insight to you. And then you can start to unpack yourself from all the things that you've added on to your life. When you're completely unpacked and you become very much uh, attracted to the singing the name of God, then you can go. And that is the secret knowledge of how you can become perfectly happy in a very simple way. You follow? Some of it, right? So, are there any questions? Yeah. Uh, talking about the secret knowledge, is it somehow connected with the... Talking about what? When you're talking about secret Secret, yeah. Knowledge, is it uh, somehow connected to the verse where Christian said oh, that of all secrets I am silence? But you don't confidentialness, of course. Or no. should I understand? It's secret because um, because not everybody knows it. It's secret knowledge. It's not common knowledge. That's what I mean. It's not common knowledge. It's secret knowledge. And it's for people who don't who are tired of common knowledge. Common knowledge is not affording them what they want. So they look for something something else. They look deeper. And then they find this, uh, uncover this, this current. Some people are doing this. Oh, it's that kind of secret. It's open. It's an open secret. People, But everybody doesn't come. Everyone's not interested at this point. 
It's secret also because it comes through a particular way. It comes through a channel. We call it Guru Parampara. You can't just get it anywhere. Another question? What is how one knows which things are, are for him and which are for other people? Pardon me? How, how one knows what things are for him and what are for other people? Like which are one's own duties, as yes. special to me, yes. which are the yes. other's duties. You said that we have to get rid of things which are not for us. Hmm. Hmm. Well, what I meant by that was that gradually, as knowledge comes to us and understanding we will realize that certain things that I've added to my life are not helping me in my pursuit of happiness. And so I have to give them up if I want to be happy. I have to get let go of them. That's what I meant by that. So as knowledge comes, then the cor corollary of knowledge is detachment. Attachment is a sign of knowledge, and detachment is the natural uh, fruit of of knowledge. If you have knowledge, if you have if you have knowledge, for example, that things are of the world, worldly objects are temporary, but you want happiness that endures, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to try to get that happiness by collecting things that won't endure. So as one becomes aware of that and understands that, then they let go of so many things. Just like you're a young man, you have a job, you have an apartment, you could be um, very interested in getting a, a raise. Do you own a car? No. You could, you could, you could be very interested in buying a car, working hard for that, and thinking that you needed to get a car, and, um, and, uh, uh, do you have a wife? No. You could be thinking, I really need a wife, and I should get that, and I have to work harder, and I have to have more money uh, to spend on two instead of one. And uh, but but for some reason, you're not interested in those things. A lot of people are. One of the reasons that you're not so interested is because you have some knowledge, right? And you're thinking, well. Actually, happiness comes from within, from the soul, not from collecting things. So you're prepared to forego those things, which are very interesting to other people. So now there are things presently in your life that you do think that you need and that are uh, part of your identity. And if you, as you progress in spiritual life, you'll think, mm, I really don't need that either. And then life becomes easier and easier, you see. The less you need... <laughs> the easier life becomes, the more enjoyable it becomes. Needing is a problem. So the more it said, if you're happy, why move? We're moving because we're not happy. That's why you can't meditate for very long. Because you've got needs, so perceived needs, so you've got to get up. 
can go somewhere. Gotta go somewhere. Gotta go do this. Gotta go do that. You're moving because you have desires. Desires are based on ignorance of what I am. I'm thinking to one extent or another, I have something to do with matter. So it has to eventually come to a point where um, as we grow, we, we, uh, our life becomes easier. As we grow spiritual, our life becomes easier. We become self-satisfied. So that's what I meant by uh, giving things up. It should be done in a mature way, in a healthy way. You have to hear these things and, and understand. We, we, in America, I come from America, you know, we very much live, I don't know about yourselves, on a credit card type of economy. So people buy things that they really don't have the money for with lots of credit cards. And um, they're used to that. So if they hear about this kind of thing, they think they want it right away. And so then they try to buy it. And for example, maybe they, they give up things and join the temple or something like that. But later on, they, they give up their family. They say, tell their mother, Mother, you're an illusion. <laughs> Dad, you're an illusion, Father. I'm detached from you. A few years later, we find them getting married and having their own children and, and so forth. And They're still interested in the spiritual life, but they kind of went about it a little bit artificially and tried to purchase more than they had the purchasing power. So we should have good guidance so that we go in a, in a systematic way and progress step by step. But that progress does involve either letting go of things that are just a problem for me or learning how to use those things in the interest of my soul, spiritually. Am I, is that more clear? Yes, so what is meant for you, what is meant for other? You, one thing, formula for you may be different than another. You may need less. Hmm? That may be for psychological reasons or it may be for spiritual reasons. Usually in, in, in the beginning it will be for psychological reasons. If someone is too much identified with their psychology and they think, see, I'm an advanced devotee. Hmm? They're in Maya. They're married and I'm not. Hmm? <laughs> possible that you maybe does somebody doesn't need to have a, a, a wife or a husband psychologically there are bat there are plenty of bachelors in the world does that mean they're very spiritual people many single ladies and does that mean they're more spiritual than married people no so some of them have a psychology that lends towards one lifestyle or another or someone may be taken towards one lifestyle or another based on their spiritual understanding of progress. For that matter, one can be in either lifestyle and be spiritually advanced. It's another thing. So anyway, a different, different package for different people. Another question? Yes. How can I say in myself the difference between sentimentalism and what we feel? Well, um, one way to do that is to see if your feeling conforms with what the scripture speaks about. If it conforms to that, uh, you could say it was genuine. 
and um, if um, it doesn't, I'm speaking in a simple way, you could say that it's it's a sentiment. Like, for example, there's a famous story. One of Prabhupada's disciples was chanting, and he told Prabhupada, Prabhupada, every time I chant, you might know the story, I see a blue light. <laughs> you heard the story? Blue light comes and surrounds me. So, Prabhupada, what did he say? Keep chanting, it'll go away. <laughs> so, there's no mention in the Bhagavad Gita of the blue light coming and chant like this and the blue light will come. But there is mention of other things that will come. And um, in a very simple sense, let us say our sentiment draws us towards a saintly person. Well, that's a good sentiment. That means that's we should have that kind of sentiment. If we have a sentiment drawing us towards a saintly person, and we are told in the scripture that the same attachment that one has towards an ordinary person, if it's transferred towards a saintly person, that will be the solution to all the problems of your life. So, if we have some some attraction and attachment, our knowledge may not be great, because we are just beginning, but we shouldn't think that this it's counterfeit. You're attached to something real. You're attracted to something real. That's valuable. You have a little bit of faith. And this will strength. This is what will strengthen your faith. Sentiment that is important. Krishna consciousness is ultimately a sentiment. In the beginning, some some knowledge will be required. Why? To strengthen our our, our fledgling sentiment. The sentiment is good in the beginning. But in order to make it strong, then we need knowledge. And where do we get knowledge? From the guru. Guru, somebody said, it means heavy last night. Was that you? Okay. So heavy doesn't mean he's overweight. means he's heavy with knowledge. Let's say, for example, you have a sentiment in your heart for um, for a saintly person. And then someone tells you, oh, he's not a saintly person. He doesn't uh, do this, 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 and this but you don't have much knowledge. So that might adversely affect your sentiment. But if you had knowledge and you could reply, no, no, he does this, this, and this, he just does it in a different way than you, something like that. He's not in your group, but he's connected (laughs) nonetheless. If you have proper knowledge, then that will help you. But now, for example, you don't have proper knowledge. You may have a sentiment towards me, as you've expressed, and I will fly away from here. And someone will surely say to you, that's all right, he's nice, but he's not in our group. And if he's not in our group, that's a problem. So if you don't have the knowledge to reply, 
that will affect your sentiment. But if your sentiment is strong, then you will think, I don't have the knowledge to answer you, but the person I have a sentiment for, he has the knowledge to answer you. <laughs> so I, I, I may not be able to give you the answer. This much knowledge you should have, you see. Then your sentiment will be not just a sentiment. That much knowledge you should have. My guru, he knows. He has answer. He can answer any question. And then gradually, you have to get that knowledge. You can't always just stay on that level. Well, I don't know what my guru knows. <laughs> you must come to know also. <laughs> so, yes. Guru Maharaj, it's often said that that uh, uh, attachment to spiritual things and attachment to material things are like a scale. If one goes up, the other goes down. But uh, I find in my own life that I have some attachment for for Krishna, and I feel it's been growing a little bit also. But at the same time, I don't see any real detachment or real decrease on the other side. So, uh, what does it mean? I think um, that um, you may be um, not so generous with yourself, first of all. You may be a harsh critic of your own self. And um, so that you will come away with that type of evaluation. Um, also, how old are you now? Thirty. Thirty. So you're just starting to mature. So you have a you have a something to go through. Maturation. You came to this at a young age, and you practiced, and you are practicing. But there's other side of you that has its life to play out, so to speak. That it hasn't been dissolved. By, by chanting, we have our karma. Yuga Goswami says, by this chanting, the karma that has not yet come to bear fruit will be destroyed first. So, and at the root of that karma is, is, is ignorance. We are in the process of uprooting that, and it's taking time. Meanwhile, your parabdha is playing itself out, your manifest karma. But all this baggage in the background that you're not even aware of is being cleansed away. So so spiritual advancement, as much as it involves clearing the negative side of your life, the karma, is to uh, a large extent for some time relatively invisible. And so you are being freed up in a sense, in your scale type analogy, but in the way that you are uh, can immediately perceive. But someone who has a, a deeper vision will see like that. And will say that, oh, maybe you're being a little less generous with yourself, or maybe you haven't thought of it like this, but... Um, so, you're mature, maturing, maybe you were um, uh, living as a monk for some time, and now you're getting married, you've been married for a few years, and so 
you may be thinking I'm going materially I'm developing more attachments even though I'm practicing but as I said the your your material life has a life of its own this parabda is going to for the most part manifest you can you can eradicate it by chanting but that is a certain kind of chanting that will take so don't think you're not making progress. Two kinds of progress. Eliminating that past baggage and developing attraction for Krishna. If you're developing attraction for Krishna, if your attraction for Krishna, for hearing about Krishna, for chanting, for these types of things, is increasing, even though the material life is going on on the other side, in one sense that's just playing itself out. And it doesn't necessarily indicate that you're becoming more attached. Attachment to Krishna is very a subtle thing. You may like Krishna and have all types of material attachments. And where you're really standing in existence is relative only to how much you like Krishna, not to your attachments. It's a very interesting, subtle concept. We may find people who have a lot of attachments, but they they have deep, they have a real they have a real liking for Krishna. They're in a very good uh, position, and if they continue their life in such a way as to increase that, then it is so much the better half of the equation. Material attachments may come and material life may play itself out. It's kind of like two things are happening at the same time. The karma, parabda means manifest karma, that's already bearing fruit, is playing itself out. And, 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 and the soul is developing attraction for Krishna. At a certain point, it, it can reach a point where the attraction is so great that the parabda is, is just removed altogether. Then you become... Does that help? Yes. Another question? Yes, Tim. we think we see mundane things in holy people. So, one minute. So the main thing to do is chant Hare Krishna, worship Krishna, no matter what. No matter what material attachments you have, no matter how hypocritical it may seem that I'm worshiping Krishna, and where are these beads? Do it. Worship Krishna. Serve Krishna. Chant Hare Krishna. Uh, look at the picture of Krishna. Read the book about Krishna. This is... Uh, it, it's all, our process is really all positive. The negative just... We think about it sometimes. We talk about giving up and this, but really it will, it will fall away. At all costs. At all costs. Never give up the chanting of the holy name of Krishna matter even if you feel like I'm a complete hypocrite uh, no that chanting uh, that will help you the soul will be drawn towards Krishna that's real investment real wealth it may be real wealth in a filthy place but it's real wealth <laughs> nonetheless yes I'm sorry Sometimes we, we think we see mundane things in holy people. 
and and I talked about that with people, and they they say that Krishna comes to test. Well, um, you could, but um, the fact is that um, saintly people are saintly people inside of a human package of sorts. And their spirituality, to one extent or another, is going to be filtered through like a cultural filter of their background and and so forth. And, um, you know, it depends what you consider to be um, um, mundane. Um, uh, if you think that uh, every saintly person should smell like a rose or something like that, <laughs> you, might, you know, you might be disappointed. You might think he's perspiring. Uh, it's just, it's mundane. I'm trying to say to you that there's it, what ha- what's happening in a saintly person is a combination, really. It's a meeting of of, of humanity and spirituality, but. What happens is if you become attached to a saintly person, then the nature of love is that you see everything about him as being wonderful. Even his uh, faults become ornaments. In love, faults become ornaments. So the human side of the guru, for example, that also becomes charming. We, we think it's transcendental. One of my godbrothers used to say, he told me once that, I used to think that the spiritual way to indicate yes was to go like this. <laughs> and the material way was to go like this. At least in America, we say yes, we go like this. Why did he think like that? Because when we asked Prabhupada, his guru, Prabhupada would go, yes. <laughs> so we used to think that's the spiritual way because Guru Dave does it like that. So then I went to India and everybody's going like this. <laughs> and I thought, well, and then you realize, oh, well, there's another side to this. So there's kind of a relative side and absolute side to the Guru. But the relative side becomes uh, colored, so to speak, by, uh, by affection force. And we, we see it as wonderful. Like I saw everything... If Prabhupada would drink, once he was drinking, you know how we would drink a glass of water and it wouldn't touch the cup, this kind of brahminical thing. Once the cup dropped and the water all spilled on him, like this. And, and, it, and, uh, and uh, it was just, uh, for me, it was just charming. It was just the most spiritual thing. He, dro- he made a mistake, you know, he, he dropped the glass. But... So it didn't matter really what he did or what he said because I, because uh, I loved him, and the reason I loved him is because I never met anybody that loved me more than him. So, <laughs> so I reciprocated accordingly. I felt that from the moment I saw him first. Actually, I saw Prabhupada in the dream before I met him. That's another story, but. So, uh, otherwise, if you look at the deity of Krishna, you could say, 
pretty mundane. It's a stone, right? It's a piece of wood, carved piece of wood. I could take that and throw it in the fire. So there's a way of looking at the deity that you could see it as mundane. But we're taught to see through the eyes of the scripture in another way. And if we do that and approach the deity on those terms, we'll know it's not a stone. It's not a piece of wood. We'll have that experience. Oh, and we'll, we'll look at it in another way. So if we approach the guru properly also, then we will, we will see there's nothing mundane. He's in every way teaching us. Another question? Sorry, I tried to give a more simple talk tonight. I hope it was helpful to all of you. Today is what, Tuesday? So tomorrow morning we meet again. Wednesday. And tomorrow our hosts, Kishangi and Kamalakshi, will go to work, right? Early in the morning. So we have a small talk. Any questions you can bring? We can go higher because there will be a smaller group. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>